0: what's up big shiny takers and fakers you're listening to the world's only anti-free speech podcast where we take a bit of a jaded look at canadian media and its repugnant pundit class joining me as always are my pals eric wickham hello hello and mario greco
1: what's good in the hood
0: Yo, yo, we've also got a very special guest, Um, perhaps our specialist guest. That didn't sound the way I wanted to, but joining us today is a man who is the executive director of the Harbinger Society Institute, André Goulet.
2: It's great to be here, yeah. (laughs)
3: Yeah,
0: great. And you know, I've always thought that you and Eric should start (laughs) a side project and call it the Eric-André show. Yeah, because that's not taking that.
2: That'd be good.
3: I think it's a perfect
0: name. But I just want, before we we get into the meat of this episode, which one of you would be Eric and which one of you would be Hannibal?
3: As the podfather, I feel like you have first choice. However, I mean, it would make sense if Eric was the Eric Andre, but I don't think that that's my role. I feel like I'm much more of a Hannibal. During interviews, I like to be in the background eating lettuce possibly making nonsensical com- <laughs> comments uh interacting with the band or just staring at the camera slowly shaking my head so i mean i feel like andre that you are the eric andre
2: i've never identified with hannibal buris although i like him although i hate that he's a landlord and stands up for landlord (laughs) associations that sucks it actually changed my entire thinking about the guy and it was heartbreaking because i'd enjoyed him for like a decade but eric andre has yet to buy property and rent it out to people from what as far as i know and so i would go for eric andre i think he's funny and he's great so i'm really happy with that so yeah you be hannibal i'll be eric and uh then you'll be Eric and I'll be Andre and it it's this sounds great. So Jeremy, yeah, I think I think we'll definitely launch that uh, under the auspices yeah, of I, the Harbinger Media Network in the near future.
0: Yeah, I don't think Eric Andre is a very litigious guy, but it would be really funny if he was and just see him in court, but I knew you would be Eric Andre because before we started recording, you like smashed up your desk and then like took a baseball bat and like swung it against the walls and then like cut yourself with like a peanut butter jar
2: yeah that was wild something that's common for a lot of us in podcasting is we're not afraid to bleed for our arts and I think that a lot of us have hurt (laughs) ourselves hurt ourselves badly while podcasting it happens a lot that we will cut ourselves break something whatever and um, it's what we do for the craft and I'm not ashamed. Yeah,
1: yeah we do it every single week reading these absolute dog shit takes
2: we are on the front line
0: of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. I think you could say.
3: Yeah, a lot of people are thinking frontline workers. And nobody's thinking podcasters, and I feel like that might need to change. <laughs> no, no,
0: but we are frontline workers is what I'm trying to say.
3: <laughs> so when they,
0: when they think frontline workers, they're, they're talking us. about nurses, doctors, podcasters, grocery store clerks, pharmacists. Wall
1: Street bankers.
0: Wall Street bankers. Yeah,
2: I have to admit that every day, like, you know, after eight or nine months of pandemic, I literally every day just feel great empathy for uh, the genuine frontline workers and people in medical professions, friends who are teachers that fucking sucks, man, to like go Mm -hmm. into the classroom every day and just have to deal with that. Like, so if my own uh, anxiety about living through this hellscape uh, is, is, you know, like warranted, I definitely am full of empathy for the people who have to really suffer. And that includes podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't well it's all it's all a matter of perspective agree to disagree Yeah. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah look We had our Sleepover Summit. That's exactly right.
2: And people can hear all about the Sleepover Summit on the most recent episode of the Harbinger Society Presents, which is the supporter only podcast, which I produce and release at Harbinger Media Network. Thank you guys again for coming on. Uh, I love doing kind of like weird, stupid comedy uh, cold opens. So uh, the conceit here is that you guys have come over to my place, uh, my parents place, excuse me, uh, for a slumber party where we're going to finally bury the hatchet about our online feud uh, that we recently had because you guys didn't get to publish the episode that you wanted to because I brought the hammer down and uh, we have a lot of fun. We play at the Ouija board. Uh, we eat chips and drink soda pop. And uh, it's a great time. People can access that by going to harbingermedianetwork.com and becoming a supporter for as little as $3 a month.
0: That's fucking good deal, people. But we brought you on because we, we had a specific, um, specific column, a specific trend in Canadian punditry that uh, we've talked a bit about before, as it pertains to COVID, and I'm talking about scapegoating China. I know Passage, which is uh, you know has a partnership with Harbingers, published a lot of material exposing this anti-China animus and how it plays out in our media, and how sort of a lot of powerful people are blaming China to cover up their own false right it's sort of this Mm -hmm. act of projection but this piece is different it's from a shithead that we've talked about before and we'll 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 get to that in a moment but this is about this is foreign policy oriented right we're talking about this is like some new cold war rhetoric and it's also uh fairly mccarthyist i would say in that it, it um accuses uh two sitting mps probably two of the only good ones you know there are like five good mps that i'm aware of and uh uh paul manley and Nikki ashton spoke well Nikki ashton didn't speak at this uh free uh meng wizu event don't let the details
3: get that- in the way of uh, a good story though really
2: and Jeremy, if I can really quick, this just reminds me I, that, uh, that you know, after our cold open and our sleepover summit, I actually have a yet to be recorded, but will be recorded on Monday, uh, December uh, 7th, uh, a really cool panel where I'm hosting uh, Saman Tab- Tabasinejad, who is part of Progress Toronto and, and a bit of an expert on Iran, uh, Anthony Fenton, who's an expert on Canadian arms sales to Saudi Arabia, and uh, the great Michael Buchert, who'll be talking about Palestine. And we're going to be having a panel where we're talking about Canadian foreign policy and critiquing it uh, in in the Middle East and in that region. So something that I'm going to be trying to do with Harbinger Society Presents in uh, the coming year, in 2021, is is focusing on foreign policy. Because it drives me fucking crazy. And this John, can I say his name? John Iveson. This John Iveson piece sucked so bad. And Mm -hmm. China policy is something that uh, I honestly am, like I've been beside myself with with, uh, frustration for, I guess, like, maybe the last two years, just because the Trudeau government sucks so bad at China. They don't know what they're doing. They blow it there's been these two Canadians who've been in a a Chinese like black prison for for 14 months. And it sucks. It's really shitty. And the more people talk about China in the media, the more I go crazy because they like all of their takes suck. When the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute put forward this free Meng campaign, these members of parliament sort of rallied behind it. I was like, Oh, cool. I mean, free Meng is not quite the way I'd want to frame it because she's like the daughter of a billionaire and like one of the most powerful technocrats in China. But she, well, she's been under house arrest basically because uh, Trump wanted to like, you know, trade war with China and Canada totally just like, went for it and it's been pathetic right so iverson then coming out here and attacking some of the more left perspective in in um sort of think tankery and and po- politicking in canada was just lame like it sucked and so i'm so happy that we actually get to talk about this together on big shiny takes because this is something that you guys do so well and i enjoy it so much jeremy what's the title of this of this iverson uh, garbage
0: um, Useful idiots of the world unite, and they have, with free main event. Now, John Iveson calling anyone a useful idiot is just amazing lack of self-awareness. And le- maybe let's talk a bit about who this John Iveson fellow is. If this is your first time listening, you may not know him. Eric, want to tell us a bit about who this... Uh, is it Iveson or Iveson? I don't think we ever...
3: I always say Iveson. He is a very, very staunchly mediocre columnist who occasionally dips his toe into just straight right-wing crankery. We sort of got right into the John Iveson universe, right at the the height of the first wave of the pandemic, because he wrote a all-time terrible column, maybe the worst we read this year, about how uh, Serb was going to turn a generation of workers into welfare slackers and was absolutely like, gutted on Twitter by basically anybody with a functioning brain.
2: And if I recall um, correctly, so- you, guys, you guys called attention to the fact that the National Post itself is a welfare, <laughs> uh, a welfare recipient from the Canadian government. It's so obviously a clear ironic contradiction, which Iveson uh, is, is aware of, but choosing to ignore.
0: I don't know if he's aware of it, though. Like, he's pretty dim.
3: Yeah, well, it's... I think hypocrisy is a hard thing to admit when you're doing a bit of self-reflection. I mean... With guys like Iveson, it's always, well, you know, I'm a good person, so the things that I'm attached to are mm-hmm. also good. And I, I think that kind of plays into his view on China and Canada as well.
2: So, useful idiots of the world unite, and they have, with Free Meng Event is the title. The the headline is, to present as the Canadian Peace Congress does Meng Zhao's detention as an unprovoked kidnapping, is to take adolescent gullibility to dangerous levels john iveson november 23rd 2020 um guys should we get into this yeah just if if i recall correctly
0: um she was arrested before um the two canadians named michael were right yes so that was in retaliation for this
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Right. Okay, so let's keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, and also that. let's keep in mind this is a, a, an heiress of a billion dollar company living in Vancouver right now. But anyways, let's, uh, let's explore a little bit Iveson's takes here. The etymology of the phrase useful idiot is debated. Some people suggest it was coined by Lenin. Others credit Stalin, who used it to describe the confused and misguided American sympathizers who aided the Soviet agenda. It came to mind when reading about a virtual event being held Tuesday in anticipation of the second anniversary of the arrest of Meng Wanzhou, the huawei executive being detained in vancouver pending extradition to the united states
0: i always love when a column begins with etymology it's how how you know it's how you know the author like takes this issue very seriously and knows exactly what they're talking about and aren't just like filling up space
3: this column mentions lenin and stalin in the first scrap like what like not even trying to disguise that this is going to be some sort of anti uh communist take on china it's like it's so yeah like he could have like figured out which one said that
1: <laughs> but he had to name both. Yeah, yeah. it's
2: a lazy column from the get go. And he, and he goes on and he goes on in this vein. He says The Free Meng event is being hosted by a group of left wing organizations, including the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, the Canadian Peace Congress, and the Hamilton Coalition to Stop War. Speakers include NDP MP Nikki Ashton and Green MP Paul Manley. Fair enough, you may say. If the peaceniks want to spend their time campaigning on behalf of a Chinese billionaire who flits between multi-million-dollar mansions in Vancouver, that's their affair. Yet there's no. Yet, well, and if I may, isn't everywhere in Vancouver a multi-million-dollar home at the moment? Like-
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, also nobody is saying that, right? It's classic national post straw man argument where. If you disagree yeah. with this position I'm taking that happens to coincidentally always align with like neoconservative foreign policy, um, you know, wanting to confront anyone who isn't doesn't look like us or has a different political yeah. system than us, hear it, um, then you're an idiot, right? It's like the Terry Glav, I mean, Terry Glavin's the funniest example of that because he is, as Eric pointed out on Twitter, uh, recently. The human embodiment of the uh, Navy SEALs copy pasta.
3: <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. This is so like we're going to go right down a rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, Terry Glavin sucks and he thinks he's so much tougher than he is
1: uh, here at the National Post. We only stand homegrown multimillionaires.
3: so
2: he goes on here to make to make a point that is is coming now in you know four or five paragraphs and he says yet there's no mention anywhere in the publicity material of michael kovrig or michael spavor the two canadians who were detained by chinese authorities nine days after meng was arrested in vancouver that's shocking Ashton has not only agreed to participate in the event, she's sponsored a petition in the House of Commons that calls for Meng's immediate release, urges the government to protect Canadian jobs by allowing Huawei to participate in the rollout of 5G in Canada, and encourages a foreign policy review to develop an independent foreign policy on China. Okay. But like, this is the whole issue with the Meng thing. We clearly didn't have an independent foreign policy approach to Meng Wanzhou, And it was clearly like an arrest on behest of, you know, Donald Trump's foreign affairs department. So total bullshit. Eves mm-hmm. Engler, a fellow of the Canadian foreign policy Institute said he's sympathetic to the plight of the two Michaels, but who began the process? Hostage diplomacy is a terrible idea, but who started it? He said.
0: That is a, those are very legitimate questions.
2: Yes, very li- exactly, because her detention upholds unilateral and illegal U.S. sanctions against Iran, he said, which is true. But Iverson says that's not true, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's true. So this is where, yeah, kind of he lost me here. He says U.S. authorities are seeking Meng's extradition on fraud charges, alleging she lied to HSBC as part of a scheme to obtain financing, thereby, thereby putting the bank at risk of violating U.S. sanctions in Iran. So- <laughs>
0: I love I love when they do that it's like no no, no, no. this isn't this it's that but that is the same as this (laughs) like it's like (laughs) look I didn't kill the guy I just made it so he would cease to live.
2: And he tries to back it up here in the next paragraph where he says, however, when BC Supreme Court Judge Heather Holmes ruled that Meng can be sent to the U.S. to be prosecuted, she did so because she deemed her crime, as alleged by the U.S., is also a crime in Canada. The essence of the alleged crime was not violating U.S. sanctions, but deceiving a bank to obtain financial services.
3: Well, you know, Canadian law enforcement is so, so hard on financial crime in this country, which is why every every banker in this country has done time. Yeah, It's crazy how much white-collar crime we prosecute.
0: I remember when I was growing up and they uh, hanged all the bankers. <laughs> <laughs> it was
2: shocking then, and it's still shocking. Bank-collar crime, as we used to call it back then.
0: <laughs> That's before my time.
2: And what's interesting here, too, is that, like... Uh, Yeah, like you guys say, he's just playing, he's just playing like word poker or like mental gymnastics and he's, yeah, he's just full of shit. Okay. So on the petition's second demand Engler defended the call to allow Huawei to be involved in Canada's 5G network. We have real concerns about surveillance. The Chinese government has its own repressive spying and intelligence apparatus but it doesn't come close to the power of the NSA which is the United States National Security Agency or the Five Eyes which is the intelligence alliance comprised in Canada, the US the United Kingdom, Australia and New Zealand Canadians should be more concerned about the NSA in Canada than the Chinese government. He said, I don't think that China is a threat to most Canadians. Wrong! That is wrong. Yves <laughs> Engler is mistaken. China is a lo- it's a big threat.
0: Yeah. It's a big threat. And, this yeah, is and, and,
2: is correct, right?
0: Yeah, no, he knocks it out of the park because obviously the Chinese government controls the global economy and so they can actually use our information whereas, you know, the NSA are the good guys and you know, they're you
2: know, we're they're in running. we're in real danger uh, in Canada and in the United States of of being affected by China's uh, security mm. policy um, mm-hmm. domestic security policy <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean Chinese yeah. dissidents are but like fucking imperialists.
2: <laughs> this is the incongruity that drives me crazy because it's like yeah China's government would be appalling for many people to live under uh, but for the 1.6 billion people that live there largely people just go about their day to day lives it's not a problem for Canada what is a problem is having two of our citizens in a black site and there forever and to have just a policy which is so dumb because china doesn't give a fuck about canada like they don't have to we're 35 Mm -hmm. million people Mm
1: -hmm.
2: um so just yeah so the way canada has approached this entire issue has been awful and the two dudes are in jail the one dude kovrig he was a sort of entrepreneur slash grifter in Seoul at the same time I was living there. He was the fixer who set up all the parties with like Kim Jong Un and Dennis Rodman and stuff. That's his sort of professional background.
0: That's awesome. That's wild. He should, he should be giving a medal.
2: But he was really high profile because China like knew about him. Right. And that's why he got nabbed because he was in China at the time, probably setting up some more like tourism things or like whatever. The other Michael is is a former diplomat and stuff. So these poor guys just are like in jail. And then the Canadian government is like, yeah, no, this is justice. This is where we're a country of law. Uh, this is what we do. And then really they just have no idea what they're doing. And it's, it's pathetic because it's clearly Trump driven. So maybe as Trump is on his way out, that's why we're seeing that this issue is becoming sort of um, normalized where, where Canada might actually start doing like smart uh, reactions to, to Chinese moves and stuff like that. So Iverson is not, you know, that's not where his ha- his head is at yet. And and so he goes on to say While it's true that no Huawei code or hardware has been linked definitively to the Chinese state, the company is beholden to the Communist Party's interests and instruction. Security experts believe that Huawei receives contracts from the Chinese military to develop dual-use communications technology and that the threat is legitimate. A generous interpretation is that Engler, Manly, and Ashton are well-intentioned idealists who qualify for (laughs) Stalin's or Lenin's depiction. (laughs) (laughs) Nails it. Totally nails it.
0: (laughs) Who are these security experts? Like, you know,
2: can you tell me? Like- you don't have to cite. No, you don't have to cite them in an article for the article to be true.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just people. You know, it's anonymous sources. Again, like trying to like tie Nikki Ashton to this is so so ridiculous and it's really unfair like this is character assassination on
2: on it's because she's a target because she's like one of the proud leftists like out leftists in the NDP and in Canadian politics so she's just an easy target it's a it's an easy way to write it's a lazy way to write an article and like you guys say like the straw man thing right Uh, this is lame too this is this is such an easy hit Engler admitted he's never been to China where surveillance has been elevated to an art form <laughs> we can probably all agree that we do not welcome a- okay so before i get onto that uh so i don't know attacking the guy for not being to china i mean does iverson talk about his own travels to china that's
1: exactly yeah. what i was thinking
0: or like like a lot of these experts haven't been China. no
2: but you guys are are ignoring the
3: fact that china's bad because we're not china and we're good um, because we're not so, china because we're not china actually which is crazy that you haven't thought that
2: when you do the logic exercise it actually becomes way more clear
3: yeah 100% what you do is you spin in circles right until you remember that we're the good yeah. guys and everybody else is the bad guys actually
1: guys the like over there they got like companies man they're like connected to the government and the government <laughs> the government <laughs> yes. did you know it's a communist party it's a communist party and they're beholden it's crazy
2: yeah, and I mean, and that's the obvious. That's the obvious thing too, because it's like as if capitalism has a clear distinction mm. between government and business. Exactly. Well,
0: I also, I, I also like how he kicks off that paragraph being like, "Well, look, there's no proof of what I'm saying, <laughs> right?" But I'm going <laughs> to say it anyway.
3: However, yeah, we're going to treat this as an objective truth. I like a like. There's like one quote that he uses. It was Engler. He said. I don't think that China is a threat to most Canadians. I can picture Iveson sitting there in a dark room at his desk with just steam shooting out his ears, just like not being able to cope with someone thinking that. Because China are the bad guys, right?
2: Hearing that kind of absurdity, he does. He does. He does. Speak a little bit of clarity here. He says we can probably all agree that we don't welcome a cold war with the Chinese. Far less anything warmer. But to present as the Canadian Peace Congress does Meng's detention as, quote, an unprovoked kidnapping or Canada's participation (laughs) in naval operations in East Asia as an attempt to, quote, provoke and encircle the PRC is to take adolescent gullibility... To dangerous levels um, Ashton can have no excuses she's been an MP for 12 years and run for her party's leadership twice Hell yeah! does she agree with the communist party's English language mouthpiece the global times that Canada has surrendered its judicial <laughs> and diplomatic independence to the US I would have asked her If she'd return calls (laughs) seeking (laughs) comments.
3: Damn. That's a massive cell phone. Yeah. Like, he
0: knows. Why wouldn't she respond to such, like, good faith, fun questioning? It's really mysterious.
2: Well, and he puts, Um, like, he puts the truth of the thing right in the middle of this paragraph because Canada did surrender its fucking judicial and diplomatic independence to the US. Mm -hmm. That was the point. Mm -hmm. And it was so transparent. And what's been so stupid in the last, you know, 14 months is that no one's talking about that it's like donald trump donald trump the guy in office that's who we're like kowtowing to what the fuck i'm
0: I'm just fantasizing about taking this piece and doing blackout poetry with it and making it pro china (laughs) 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 completely taking out context like canada surrendered its judicial and diplomatic independence to the u.s
1: there are no links between huawei and the chinese
3: government
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh man i think i'm going to do that for fun when
3: we're done you should, you honestly should, because it would be good content that we can release to patrons, and they would all love it. We can make it like little printouts and stuff, but there's one sentence in this that, I gotta be honest, it triggers me a little bit, where he uh, basically associates any sort of left-leaning notion or any idea that, you know, maybe is not the main concern here, to adolescent gullibility, Which is just, like, such an overused hack trope that, like, hey, um, having any politics that's anywhere left of crypto-fascism is actually you being a child. (laughs) Um, And I'm so done with that. It's so lazy.
0: Yeah, it's classic right-wing arrogance that, oh, well, you're just an idiot who hasn't grown up yet. Unlike me, who thinks we should, like, grind poor people into fuel.
2: And it's a little, and it, I don't know if it's gendered or ageist or what, but because Nikki Ashton sort of um, was publicly in her late twenties or mid twenties when she first started out in politics, someone like Iverson, who's in fucking Ottawa and has been forever, um, would look at her as like someone who was still you know twenty five, as opposed to a person who's now like what thirty four, has a couple kids, and like does a lot of good work. So yeah, it was a cheap shot, but it's no surprise that Iverson would go there. What's mm-hmm. uh, also not surprising is that here he highlights. One of the most ghoulish public events that, oh, yeah. that happen in in Canada every year, and of course, that's the Halifax Security Forum, which is basically like a comic con for people selling bombs and missiles. Um, yeah, Justin uh, Ling hangs out there a lot. I think,
3: <laughs> just is muttering NATO under his breath.
2: <laughs> NATO, NATO. A far less benign but more considered view of China emerged from last weekend's Halifax Security Forum, which summarized the opinions of 250 experts in a handbook for delegates. The forum concluded that modern-day China has become the most powerful authoritarian state in history and a major challenger to the liberal world. What liberal world? What? this? It was, who's left? Who Boris Johnson in the UK? Uh, like the the detritus of America's democracy that's like going down the drain right now. Canada's like what sixty percent of people who actually bother to vote every election. Where's the liberal world? Is it? Are we talking about Angela Merkel? He doesn't say her name. I mean,
3: it's his ideal version of reality that China is threatening and it's unfortunate for Iveson is that that world exists in his imagination and it doesn't really exist anywhere else.
2: The consensus is that China's ambitions will not stop at its borders and that it intends to undermine democracies around the world, in particular in Hong Kong and Taiwan, which now hang precariously in the balance. That's, I wonder why the experts that they would cite in the handbook would have an interest in saying that China's ambitions will not stop at its borders. What are they selling that might uh, that they might sell more <laughs> of? What the fuck? I hate living in a, in a, in a society and a world which normalizes weapons, war, death, fighting, killing. And I'm sorry, Marino, I know you're a gamer and, and that might be hitting you like a little bit. <laughs> but it is a problem and the Halifax Security Forum is, you know, fucking disgusting.
1: No, it's okay. Uh, I think all this shit should be relegated to video games and a complete fantasy world. But unfortunately, it is a very real thing. Uh, And it is the orthodoxy in which we live in the West, not this fucking fictional liberal cockamamie classical liberal line he's trying to fucking
0: sell us. Yeah, he's a classical liberal like like
2: I'm going to bleep out cockamamie. I thought we weren't working blue. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about
3: that, Andre.
0: Well, I think when he's talking about the liberal world order, this is sort of like the neocons like uh, appropriating the rhetoric of like internationalism and human rights, and uh, you know, like uh, Michael Ignatieff, who isn't a neoconservative but he's certainly a neoliberal, uh, suggested to build this empire of human rights because we are the embodiment of human rights with like Boyle advisories on uh, First Nations reserves and police killing people of color um you know we are the uh well positioned to create this empire of human rights i think that's something i've always found very uh disturbing and threatening about the neocons is they're flipping everything on head and being like actually um we uh support human rights we we're the true supporters of human rights a couple of graphs ago uh he talked about adolescent gullibility now i wonder what john I- ives uh what his thoughts on the iraq war were
2: yeah i don't wonder because i'm almost 100 percent certain he was totally gung-ho right
0: yeah all these guys were <laughs> and they claim they weren't now like there's a hilarious exchange between colby kosh of national post who i think is actually one of their less egregious uh calmness uh he doesn't like me very much and that's no skin off my back. But him and Steven Maguziak, where he's like, I, I didn't support the RACWAR. What are you talking about? And Magusiak posted uh, a screenshot of one of his columns from 2002 talking about how, like... Yeah, they're going to greet us as liberators, of course.
2: <laughs> Maguziak of Press Progress and uh, occasional contributor to the Alberta Advantage Collective uh, in Calgary. He's an awesome dude. Yeah.
0: Also, occasional contributor to Big Chinese Tapes.
2: Okay, that's right. Yeah, he's been on the show. I, I just want to flag really quick before we wrap up this article that when we're talking about Hong Kong and Taiwan, it's like, guys, I'm sorry, Hong Kong is now not part of. The British Empire, it's gonna suck for people who like democracy in Hong Kong and, and like that is shitty. But it's like it's part of China, like there's not a lot you can do about it. And in the case of Taiwan, I don't know. Like I, I lived in Taiwan for, for several years. I love Taiwan. I really, you know, was into Taiwanese independence and like the democracy movement and super inspiring and stuff. But if China wants to take it, I don't really know what the hell is gonna happen. So these sort of like shining city on a hill perspectives about how the West is supposed to like keep these places uh, in the democratic fold mm-hmm. it, it does all kind of tie back into cold war thinking as opposed to dealing with reality as it is and trying to avoid conflicts and figuring out ways to use mediation and interaction to find uh, conclusions right because like okay. we absolutely don 't want things to heat up and have any kind of war happening with China in fact, we would like the opposite it would be great if people got along because it 's way better for the world so that 's my okay that 's my That's my editorial. Let's finish this editorial, though, where (laughs) Iveson says, even if the radical left is able to discount what's going on in Hong Kong and the South China Sea, how can it overlook the oppression in Xinjiang that all human rights organizations say is intensifying? And as we're going to see in the response from the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, yeah, what's going on in Xinjiang? Is very bad and it's it's ethnic cleansing and it's it's concentration camps. But that is something that is like recognized by everybody, I think. The explanation appears to be a reflexive contempt and loathing toward the United States that excuses any and all atrocities by other nations. This after all is the same Nikki Ashton who tweeted Hashtag hands off Venezuela last year in support of the despicable Nicolas Maduro regime. The illegitimate president must have been gratified that the world is so packed with useful idiots. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. sure Maduro was paying attention. Um, yeah, so he just I, totally I nails, how it, he... nails it at the <laughs> end here.
0: Yeah, just he shoehorns in. But what about Venezuela. <laughs> I would say that the Bolivarian uh, regime in Venezuela is very different from the Chinese Communist Party, um, and I don't think we should be interfering in either. But you know, this piece is it's rooted in the assumption that you can't be against U.S. foreign policy and also not a stooge for communist China, or or um, Nicolas Maduro. Though again, that's a lot. It's different. I do uh, fuel for Venezuelans, like obviously the past number of years when the price of oil collapsed and with sanctions have been very uh, tragic, but it's also, again, like Hugo Chavez did lift people out of poverty. Like Mm -hmm. that's a fact. He did increase literacy, right? All these things that socialist regimes do. And I think um, maybe a good time to plug a series, uh, the, the course Passage is doing on uh uh socialist success stories which takes a series of uh socialist communist uh regimes and doesn't uh say that they're good per se but points out that they did do some good things they did make people's lives better materially and often like in the case of east germany it it was a matter of um you know people having no freedom but they were provided for adequately and freedom, as as we know it, in this like liberal Western concept, that doesn't actually apply to people who aren't white, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, and yeah, I mean it's the typical neoconservative drivel from the National Post.
2: And just to speak to that I mean <clears throat> like you guys uh, you know your bread and butter is getting is is getting enraged by terrible columns but I try to avoid them like for my blood pressure or whatever <laughs> so I I don't do it all the time but with this I couldn't you know keep my eyes away and so actually like reading through it with you guys and and talking about it it reminds me and Jeremy when you bring up passage and the course that they're offering to everybody um, it reminds me that like part of what we're doing with Harbinger Media Network and, and part of what the project is, you know, with Big Shiny Takes and and I think a lot of the shows in the community is building alternative space for, for perspectives that can push back against something as fucking twisted as John Iveson's garbage column written in a welfare newspaper that should just be dead and which sucks, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I know obviously we don't have uh, tens of thousands of listeners, but we are trying to build something where we create a space where other perspectives can exist to push back against uh, you know the ivesons of of Canada's decrepit media system. So you guys, it was super cool to read through this. I do want listeners to uh, listeners of Big Shiny Takes or listeners of Harbinger Society presents to check out uh, Bianca Mugiani. She is the director of the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. She wrote like a perfect rebuttal at Canadian Dimension. You can find backlash over free Meng Wanzhou event reflects growing anti-China sentiment. She basically breaks everything down perfectly. She's brilliant. She's awesome. And it it's like it's like reading Iveson who. Looks Looks like he wrote it on the back of a, a cheeseburger wax paper uh, at an a and uh, Compared to, like, it's clear it's clear <laughs> yeah. Bianca sat down at her computer and used her, like, educated mind to, like, write a beautiful piece. People should check it out at Canadian Dimension. Uh, Iveson's piece was hot garbage, and it was super interesting to explore it with you guys on Big Shiny Takes.
3: Oh, Andre, we're so happy you, you came on the show. And, uh, and when we buried the hatchet, uh, we had a sleepover on on the harbinger media podcast network which everybody can check out but we're all so excited about being part of harbinger like we've all worked in media for the past half decade and a lot of the time journalism is kind of a zero-sum game where we live in this world where like every single column written in a legacy newspaper is another column that somebody who has a new fresh idea doesn't get to write. Every single thing that John Iveson gets to write is another thing that someone like Jeremy Appel or Marino Greco or Eric Wickham wouldn't be able to because the money's going to an asshole like John Iveson. Um, the fact that Harbinger exists now, this is now a platform for us to push ideas that wouldn't be accepted in a garbage newspaper like the National Post. So we are so thrilled to be a part of this.
2: And it's really exciting, like on my end, when I'm kind of collecting and checking out the content that everyone put out that week and I'm putting it into the newsletter, which listeners can subscribe to by going to Harbinger Media Network and and subscribing. Uh, I love putting the newsletter together because it's like there's always six to nine different podcasts that came out that week. And then there's usually like, yeah, like Eric, your piece at Passage recently um, or like uh, Joel LaForest from Alberta Advantage uh, wrote something for Jacobin, and so I always highlight those two. And it's really awesome just seeing like the the, the scope of different alternative left media work that people are doing but it's not like in the old times when like alternative media met the music broadsheet that you could pick up for free at the record store right I just said broadsheet and record store two things that are (laughs) very old but you guys know what I'm saying and so and also Jeremy like watching the work that you put out with the sprawl in Calgary who are also doing amazing amazing work and like you said with the the work being done by David Mastracci and all the dozens of people contributing to Passage yeah it's so exciting having this exist in a space which is an alternative not in like a cool hip whatever way but in an alternative to our terrible mainstream media way and if we're being fair it is a little bit punk rock the sort of work that we all do i think with our with our podcasts and with with the writing and with the sort of new journalism uh that that you guys are part of isn't that isn't that do you think that's accurate marino uh
1: yeah it's reclaiming when i got into journalism school and you know i'm still trying to find my way in my career and stuff like that i got into it to hold power to account and everything in my career has just been upholding the orthodoxy i worked as an editor for the globe and mail basically for four years and just seeing the editorial choices that they make and i have no control over it's like i'm just happy there's a space now for actual voices to challenge that orthodoxy and see main at least the mainstream part of the media as part of that orthodoxy and upholding it more like 99% of the time. Maybe they like, there might be, I mean, the Globe and Mail used to publish Nora Loretto a lot before, uh, she spoke some truth about the whole Humboldt
3: thing and got blacklisted. <laughs> Sorry, Marino. I, You reminded me of this time. Uh, Remember that time that Yakubuski wrote that academic freedom piece? (laughs) that was really about uh, how professors should be allowed to say the N-word. And it was like, that was his, like, academic freedoms under attack. And you shared it with us. And we're like, oh, my God, we need to post about it. And, like, the place that that put you in working for legacy news organization was, like, It was horrible for you, and I I feel really bad, because we got very excited and and immediately started talking about it. And you're like, I edited that thing, you idiots. Like, Like, I'm going to get in trouble.
1: Yeah, Fortunately, that's behind me. But I mean, like, yeah, that's the point. You (laughs) you get into this industry, and you have these aspirations to, like, just learn about the world and explore the nuance of things. And then you end up hitting the freaking publish button on Margaret Wente articles, like god well she
0: writes for quillette now she's in the big leagues yeah Um,
3: but uh,
0: yeah um i just want to say uh yak got really which is why i'm calling him now got really mad when i made fun of him and pointed out his hypocrisy because they're actually a violation of uh, academic freedom going on like at the university of toronto when they canceled a professor's job that They were just like waiting for them to sign off on, and then they revoked it because a wealthy judge who's a donor to the university's law school said he didn't he didn't like her views on Israel. I mean, you know, we're an anti-free speech pod, so
3: we're. We're, we're fine. We just want to see people get fired. It's fun.
2: <laughs> it's funny the like the sort of blindness because of cultural thinking that allows people who have access to media space to... Yeah, like in Quebec, the whole discourse has been about why people should have the freedom to say the n-word in a classroom which is fucking sick um but this is in, in the same country where like it's closer and closer to, to being illegal to support uh boycott divest and sanction of israel israel which is a theocratic state that definitely has an apartheid system um so like it's uh, it's twisted and i'm so happy that you guys do the show you do i think your voice is like singular and, and exceptional i'm so happy that jeremy finally has a real microphone
3: <laughs>
0: We spend. of time reading these awful hot takes in the mainstream media and at the end of each episode we like to maybe uh say something positive right point people towards something good Mm -hmm. to read uh whether it's written by one of us or one of our friends or someone you know else so andre as as our guest do you have well i guess you already did yours and that's that piece in canadian dimension by a member of
2: the Canadian Forum. yeah but so I would also ju- I would, I would I would take Canadian this opportunity to then speak again to uh, the work being done at Harbinger Media Network because you know Nashua Khan just did an interview of Chomsky two weeks ago which ruled Rob Rousseau actually interviewed Nikki Ashton on the most recent episode of 49th Parahel. and there's just such like consistent quality content coming out from everybody in the community and it just rules if people want to support the work we do I urge them to get a subscription to uh, the Montreal Gazette, the Edmonton Journal, I mean, any of the Post Media papers or the National Post itself and really support the mainstream so that we can turn it we can turn it that way. After you get your subscription to Post Media, any paper again, any of the papers, I'm talking Regina Leader Post, I'm talking, uh, I'm talking anything around the country. Nice and hot news. Exactly. The Minnesota News, a great paper. Uh, if you can afford to support com uh, at three bucks a month, uh, you get access to all the exclusive stuff that's going to be coming out, including Abdul Malik's new sports and politics podcast, Off Court, which is going to be launched exclusive for Harbinger supporters uh, on January 3rd, I think. And, you know, you're also just supporting like the work being done to try to create a professionalized alternative space for left podcasts in canada and of course if people have money at the same time simultaneously if and they have their two computers they should be clicking on support harbinger <laughs> with one computer and on the other one they should be supporting the big shiny takes patreon which can be found at patreon.com slash big shiny takes and throw a few dollars to you guys for the great work you're doing it costs a cup of coffee you know it's like a cup of coffee Give it, it's, think of it as giving a cup of coffee to share uh, for Marino and Jeremy and Eric to share together, and each get about a third of a cup of a hot, like a hot latte or something.
3: Yeah, we'll drink it with like a very long straw. We would drink it from one cup. Yeah, and like pass it around like a joint. I like the straw idea personally, but yeah, I, I'm I'm into it. I also have a recommendation, and it's also on the Harbinger. Uh, media network, actually. I was listening to Tech Won't Save Us with Paris Marx prior to recording. Great interview all about Bill 22 in California and fighting for gig workers' rights. Tech companies are trying to make it harder for gig workers to exist. I think is the, the broadest way I can talk about that.
2: I hate to be a nerd and like all of us piling on loving Paris's show, but I was listening to it yesterday and yeah, he speaks with Wilfred Chan, who is a contributor to like the nation Descent magazine and stuff. Uh, Wilfred actually was a bike courier for a while in New York city and also does freelance work as a journalist. Uh, and he explained that basically Uber interests in California spent $200 million to trick the California public into thinking that prop 22 was a progressive bill that would actually give more rights to the gig workers so it's a really sick sad episode and paris is really great at drawing out the story uh, from his guests and yeah he's doing a wonderful show sorry to interject but yeah for sure
3: i'm glad you did because i was <laughs> i was talking about it and i'm like oh i'm doing a very bad job explaining what this episode so thank you andre for the save yeah and
0: i would like to recommend a, a piece at an outlet called the hard times um i read today um entitled uh, ben Shapiro pulls pants down to ankles before peeing in the urinal. Uh, very good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's like zero chance for any sort of uh, any sort of embarrassing moments. That's that's like very high level thinking from Ben. Actually, yeah.
0: Well, he's all about the uh, the ideas, right? Fighting the realm <laughs> of uh, logic <laughs> and reason. So, it, I mean.
2: Ben Shapiro in the top five of Canadian uh, news and politics downloads for for podcasts. Uh, That's true. Check the charts. This Uh, is why this is what Eric. Isn't this why we do Harbinger Media? Isn't this why we do it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd like to get them to like at least six. You know, (laughs) can we get them down one?
0: We're coming for you, Ben. Yeah, we're going to we're going to fucking take the yarmulke off your head and give you a swirly. Oh boy. Before <laughs> it's, it's done. I
3: don't know. I don't know about that. I'm one.
0: Jewish, I can say it. I can say it.
3: Yeah. Uh well,
1: earlier Jeremy mentioned the uh the passage series on countries in which socialism has at least been partly successful and i read the venezuela part of that so i'd really like to uh shout that out look i don't jeremy's smiling i don't read a lot man the other thing i'd like to plug (laughs) no no no. no.
0: that's not why i'm smiling i'm i'm smiling because he's um, happy i i I just read actually that the Maduro regime is despicable so i i I (laughs) used to say what's true
1: yeah, um, but uh, I will be uh, gluttonous here and indulge in another read that a recent article for The Sprawl called The Human Cost of Food Delivery Apps, also along the lines of holding those tech companies that give workers a raw deal to account. I forget who wrote it, though.
0: Oh, it's like it's Jeremy from The Forgotten Corner. Uh like, yeah. My yeah, arch yeah. nemesis. <laughs> <laughs>
3: we hate that guy.
1: But uh, that was, of course, written by Jeremy Appel of The Forgotten Corner.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And you know what? I'm going to. Why the fuck not? I mean, we're here. I'm going to recommend by the time this episode's out, we will have released our uh, Hanukkah special of um, The Forgotten Corner with uh we we do a panel uh hosted by the uh incomparable scott schmidt who was on our show previously to talk about wexit and uh it's me roberta lexier and uh dan moser of the alberta jewish news and we just talk about like our jewish upbringings and israel and a lot of other fun stuff uh it's scott's bar mitzvah that's that's sort of the theme, right? We're celebrating Hanukkah, but, um, we're also celebrating Scott becoming a man in the Jewish faith. So, uh, <laughs> check that out.
3: Andre, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, bye. Hell yeah. Deuces. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Big shiny takes is a proud member of the Harbinger media network. If you liked our podcast, there's plenty of other amazing podcasts on the network that you can go check out, including the Alberta Advantage and Kino Lefter, which Marino and I were on pretty recently. It was really good. We talked about James Bond and we talked about oil and it was super interesting. Bye.